Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. Well, we are going to springboard off the last few weeks that Dave has been speaking about. And really, he's been speaking about change and our changing and our, our journey of that. And he looked at, you know, Simon and Peter and he looked at Jacob and the wrestle and how we walk differently once we've wrestled with God. And really this week in contemplating the last few weeks, I've been questioning, well, who am I becoming? And um, it's really a question that I'd like to pose to all of us today to say, well, who are you becoming? How is the, the, the messages that have been shared over the last couple of weeks? How is the journey that we've been on as a church? How have the, you know, the, the start of a new year? Who am I becoming? Because he said something last week, Dave said something last week, and he said this, he said, where our roots are will determine what our fruit is. And so who am I becoming really where are my roots really planted? Who do I desire to become? Am I, am I, you know, actually becoming bitter? Am I becoming more cynical? Am I becoming, you know, fed up? Am I becoming disillusioned? Or my roots in the things of God and I'm becoming more full of faith? I am becoming um, better at keeping my peace. I am becoming better at holding my tongue and being patient and kind and good. Who am I becoming? Because for me, then it springs board like it will for you with who is my family becoming? What kind of family do I want? And we are at the stage in our family. We have, you know, four kids and there are many times where we are trying to do dinner at a dinner table and I'm like, is it really worth it? Because it's chaos. But hopefully I will look back and go, no, we planted some good disciplines. We planted some good habits. And so sometime, hopefully in the near future, we will be able to make it through an entire meal without 15 toilet stops, no spilt water over everyone's dinner, no tears, no, I wanted that plate, not this plate. We will be able to make it through. Who am I becoming? Who are my thoughts? What are my thoughts becoming? What are my habits becoming? What is my language becoming? What is my confession becoming? What is my culture becoming? What is the culture of my house? What is the culture of my thoughts? What is the culture of my words? What is the culture of my team? What is the culture of my life becoming? Over the last few years, I've had a number of friends that have emigrated to new cultures. And I was catching up with one of them this week, beginning of the week. And um, she's moved. And I'm not going to tell you the, you know, the country she's moved to because you don't need to know that. And I'm not writing off the nation at all. But she says one of the things that has been really different to the culture that she's used to here in Britain is the culture that she now finds themselves is incredibly direct. Like they just say it as it is. Like you are left with no wonder what someone is believing or thinking. They will tell it to you straight. And uh, sometimes she says, you know, it's like, my word, you are rude. I'm like, I, I, I don't know how you get away with that. But she has been, once again, time and time again, fr- um, frustrated, but confronted with this culture that is a little bit blunter than she is used to in the British ways. And she was laughing because she was doing the school run. And she's like, you know, people are not as friendly as they are in Yorkshire. And so I was like, really? 
She was like, yeah, they just, you know, don't make eye contact with you. And so she says, so I'm trying to channel my inner Brit. And I'm like, hi. And they're like, oh, you're the Brit. We've heard about you. And she was saying, you know, I have to decide, you know, am I going to, you know, adopt this culture and say, well, this is the way we do it now. And we're just going to speak really directly back to people. I said, I would either be really crushed in that culture or I would turn super mean. Like, I couldn't find an in-between. I'd either be like, oh, they all hate me. I'd be like, right, fine. You're going to say that to me? I'll say this to you. Like, I would just be terrible in that culture. She said, I know exactly what you mean, Abs. I don't know which one I'm going to become. Am I going to become, you know, I'm going to, well, this is the culture we're in, so therefore this is how we now act. Or I'm going to say, you know, I'm British. This is me. This is who am I? We were having a laugh. At the end of the conversation, I said, well, ultimately, we are to become the culture of Christ. And if it isn't in the culture of Christ, it can't be in our culture. Regardless of where our heritage is, regardless of where we were born and raised, what is my culture? Because the culture of Christ should run through us all. And it got me thinking about a story in the Bible and maybe you've read it, or maybe Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber will have made it famous to you in the 90s. But it's the story of Joseph. It's the story of a man who, having been through everything that he had been through, all the betrayal, all the heartache, all the despair, at the end, he is given an opportunity, and he exhibits the culture of kindness of mercy, of love, and of compassion. Doesn't that sound like the culture of our Lord Jesus Christ, who given an opportunity will exhibit love and kindness and mercy and compassion? Therefore, I pose to myself again, who am I becoming? Because given the opportunity, am I someone that exhibits love and mercy, kindness and compassion. And actually, if I had been through what Joseph had been through, would I still be able to be that person? Because I am not sure. Romans 5 verse 3 to 5 says this. If we've got it up here. Oh, we might have it. Okay, I'm going to read it here. And hopefully it will be similar up there. Not only, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. We are to create a new culture, not just adopt a culture that we were born into, but follow the culture of Christ. But so often... We look at the culture that we are in, or we look at the storms, for want of a better analogy, it seems quite appropriate the last few days, we look at the storms of our life, and we feel like they are more of a hindrance to us adopting a Christ-like culture. We feel like they are getting in the way. In other words, I'm sure we've all done this, I will do that when this is sorted out. You know, I will curb my tongue when I find myself in a better working environment. I will be, you know, better at um, whatever it is, worshipping. I will be better at calming myself. I will be better at this. I will adopt this. I will show more love and show more compassion when I've just got over this hurdle. But in Romans, Paul is saying, 
hey, I know you think those things are sent to hinder you, but actually they can produce something good for you. Perseverance, perseverance character, and character, hope. We look at trials and storms as hindrances to the question, who am I becoming? But maybe they are not there to hinder, but they are there to enhance. Maybe they are there to produce something good. Maybe we pray prayers and maybe we've been guilty of praying prayers in our life that, you know, God, end this storm. God, you know, take this challenge away. Take this battle away. God, like, end this. And maybe we've been so guilty of of, of doing that because we've actually sold ourselves a Christianity that looks at the instantaneous miracles of Jesus Christ. And he does do instant miracles. And I'm not saying he can't change things. But he doesn't just change things instantly. Sometimes he does things through a process. We don't have to agree. We just have to trust. Because the culture of Christ at work in us is far greater than any circumstances working against us. The culture of Christ within us is far greater than any circumstances working against us. You know, I don't see anything wrong in praying those prayers, like those, I call them bail me out prayers, those God quick, show up now. But if they're the only prayers that we pray, I fear that we will become disappointed. I fear that we will become disillusioned, like God, is this it? Like you showed up for that person, but you're not showing up for me. God, you you came through then, but you didn't come through for me right now. We will become so distracted by the storm not being taken away that we will miss what God is doing in us and creating in us that is setting us up for a higher purpose. You know, I'm trying to draw us away from having a circumstantial relationship with Jesus to having a steadfast relationship with Jesus. You know, what is your life like? What is your prayer life like? What is your, what is your worship like when you're going through a storm versus when you're not? Because if I'm honest, when I'm going through a storm, my prayer life is much healthier. When I'm going through a storm, my worship is much more diligent, it's much more dedicated, it's much more meaningful than when everything is peaceful. So the things that are sent to hinder us in our eyes, maybe they are sent to enhance us. And in the story of Joseph, which we are going to look in, Joseph was someone who, despite ridiculous storms, relentless, undeserving scenario, was someone that exhibited Christ-like culture throughout his story. And I've been really challenged by that. I've been really challenged by that. Because I like to, you know, have a final word, or I like to get my point across, or I like to have my way. But actually, Joseph was able to submit himself to the culture of heaven and to say, despite all of those things, this is what I will be known as. This is what I will be known for. Now, Joseph was a a guy who had favor on his life from an early age through nothing that he did. He was born to his, his dad's favorite wife. He was born and he was cherished and he was loved and his dad decided that he was the favorite. 
But favor rested on Joseph from an early age through nothing that he did wrong, but his brothers despised it. It says in Genesis 37 that they despised him so much that they could not even say one kind word to him. Imagine being in a family, imagine being in a culture, imagine being brought up where you know everyone around you despises you for nothing that you have done. How confusing, how frustrating. But in Joseph, you know, he grew up knowing this, that his own flesh and blood despised him, that his own flesh and blood was against him, that ultimately in Genesis 37, 38, 39, his own flesh and blood plotted against him. They sold him and they sold him into a foreign land. They created a whole scenario to get Joseph out. If there's one opportunity, I think, you know, I'm not sure I would respond with the culture of Christ right about now. It says later, it says that Joseph pleaded for his life. But in Genesis 39, verse 2 to 4, it says this. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When the master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Despite being sold, despite being betrayed, despite being an outcast, despite going into a foreign land, God was with Joseph and he prospered him. The favor of God was on Joseph's life. God prospered Joseph and gave him favor in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his storm, in the midst of his nightmare. How can someone who has favor with God and, who, and whom God is with, it says God was with him, be found in such abhorrent trials, such heartache? You know, I started studying this week in looking at this and the word favor and what does actually favor mean and it 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 was a beautiful study actually and I encourage you to do your own research on what does the favor of God really mean and what does it really look like because one of the definitions was favor is stepping into one's situations to make a worthwhile difference favor is not favoritism we experience the favor of God you and I now experience the favor of God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross that now he looks at us with favor and is able to step into our situations and into our lives through our salvation and make a worthwhile difference. But if I look at Joseph's life, we've sold a Christianity that equates favor to ease. I must be out of favor because everything is going wrong right now. They must have the favor of God because they are prospering financially or maybe they are prospering in opportunities or maybe they are prospering in their family and everything is at ease. And have you seen that new car that they're driving on? The favor of God must be on them. But me, the favor of God clearly isn't on because everything I touch goes wrong. We have sold a Christianity that equates favor with ease. And I'm about reclaiming and re-examining our understanding of God's favor this morning. That God's favor can make a worthwhile difference on our lives. Another definition that I came across, which I think I just loved, was divine kindness. 
that God's divine kindness is on us. Despite what car you drive, despite what holes are in your roof, despite what circumstances you are navigating, and I am not playing down those circumstances or those storms. They are real and they are roaring in some of our lives. But the storms are no greater than God's favor that rests on our life. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered him. He was alone. He was displaced. He was in awful circumstances. He was vulnerable. He was exploited. God prospered him. And as we move through the, the, the story of Joseph, you'll be well familiar. He gets sold into Potiphar's house. And Potiphar, you know, is the guy that sees that God is on his life and sees that everything Joseph does is going well. And he gives him you know, he's basically second in command. The only person higher than him is Potiphar. There's Potiphar and then there's Joseph. Everyone else answers to Joseph. Joseph has amazing power, an amazing position. But Potiphar has a wife. And Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of trying to sleep with her which couldn't be further from the truth. Joseph flees. If you're familiar with the story, Joseph flees. He runs out of there. He runs out of trouble. But Potiphar obviously believes his wife and throws Joseph into prison. So here's this guy, Joseph, through no fault of his own for doing the right thing, now finds himself once again in a place of confinement, in a place of at the mercy of other people. He finds himself in prison Yet that does not look like someone who has divine kindness on his life. But Genesis 39, it says this. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, I don't know if I, you know, I'm a glass half empty person, but I'd be there going, this does not look like God's favor. Maybe if you're a glass half full person, you'd be there going, well, it could have been worse. Well, I would be there saying, it could have been a lot better. I think if I was honoring God, if I was, if I was you know, living my life well, if I was doing all those things and every turn something else happened, I'd be like, God, where are you? I would start to question things that we now can see the whole story of Joseph. But just position yourself in a prison through no fault of your own and going, yeah, God's favor is on my life. People would be like, what are you on? He clearly has left you. And we can feel like that. We can feel like God has clearly left me right now. But I'm starting to realize through the life of Joseph that our storms and our circumstances, that the trials of my life are not enough to limit God's favor on our life. That the storms and the trials that you are facing, that you are navigating, that you are walking through, that you are confused by sometimes, they are not enough to say that God's divine kindness isn't on your life. You are outside of those things. God's favor on my life and God's favor on your life cannot be limited or reduced to your circumstances. God's favor is not exclusively manifested in perfect calm waters, but rather it rests on who I am in those circumstances. God's favor was on Joseph's life, but God's favor remained on Joseph's life 
Because despite the circumstances, despite the storms, Joseph decided who he was becoming. And God's favour is on your life through our salvation. And God's favour and his divine kindness will remain on your life in the midst of adversities. If we can find ourselves saying, I am still becoming the culture of Christ. I am still adopting those principles. I am still believing. I am still declaring. I am still zipping my mouth. I am still opening my mouth. I am still doing things to honor God despite what the world tells me is raging around me. Who am I becoming? Favor rested on Joseph despite of the storms. Because Joseph's life from pit to palace was 13 years. Joseph found himself in prison. He interpreted some dreams. He got released from prison after being forgotten for two more years. And he found himself in Pharaoh's palace. From pit to palace was 13 years. I freak out if my storm lasts, you know, 13 hours. 13 days, 13 months, but 13 years? I'm not sure I would still trust that God's favor, God's divine kindness was with me. If after 13 years, I still haven't seen breakthroughs in the way that everyone else tells me I should have, that everyone else says that I must be doing something wrong. 13 years, it was 15 years from being betrayed to being reunited with his brothers and with his father. 15 years. Don't despair if the kindness and the favor of God hasn't manifested itself in your circumstances yet. Don't despair, but take courage and and edify yourself that his kindness and his favor, his power is at work on you, is at work in you, is at work through you. Because in those 15 years, Joseph hadn't grown more arrogant. He hadn't grown bitter, angry, or disillusioned with God, which I think, you know, we would understand if he had. But he had grown wiser. He had grown more humble. He had grown softer, despite things being harder. He had grown in patience. He had grown in character. He had grown in hope. The favor of God will help you, will help me, will help us become all that God has for us. Because favor is not circumstantial. And so in Genesis 45, we find this great reunion. And I love what it says. If I can find it, maybe it'll come up here. But Genesis 45, verse 4 to 8, it says, verse 4 to 8. Oh, don't worry. Have I given you the wrong verses? It's probably me. Genesis 45. I'm now in Exodus. Now I'm in Genesis. Genesis 45, verse 4 to 8, it says this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, who he was just reunited with, come close to me. And when they had done, he said, I am your brother Joseph, one you sold in Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God had sent me ahead for you. 
For two years now there had been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. I am not sure I would have responded like that. This was Joseph's opportunity to get revenge. But because of who Joseph had decided to become in those storms, in those cells, in that prison, in his moment that he could have done anything, he chose to do what you and I now believe Christ would do. And we will have opportunities and the world will say that we are responding crazy that we should be doing this and we should be doing that and we should, you know, who's to say these brothers are not going to betray him again? Who's to say that they're not going to sell him again? Who's to say that they're not going to take what they can and betray him again? But actually, we are to adopt the culture of Christ in the midst of our storms. God's favor might feel like man's rejection, but it could be God's divine redirection who Joseph became in the storm, determined whether people were saved or whether people starved. And who we decide we are becoming as we follow Christ can be enhanced and not hindered by our circumstances. A refining fire that makes us pure rather than a fire that burns us. It's like, you know, when you go to an airport and you see those travelators, I always stand on those travelators and feel like, I don't know, I just feel like I'm on a catwalk or something. I do. Like I hold myself differently and I see those people that think that, oh, they're really slow, so I'm going to run and they're sweaty and they're in a mess. But the minute you get on those travelators, you don't have to do anything and you are moving forward. I kind of feel like God's favour is like that. Like I don't need to do anything in this moment. I just need to stand my ground because God, you will show and you are showing your divine kindness. And may my eyes perceive it. And may my heart know it. And may my spirit come alive in it. Because all around me looks like a sweaty mess. All around me looks like chaos. But God, right now I'm on this travelator and I am moving forward to where you would have me. The success of Joseph was because who he chose to become in those moments. And because Joseph decided to respond according to his divine identity, God backed him to the hilt. God was proud to be associated with him. He was unashamed. His love was unconditional. He was in great support of Joseph. And so we go right back to the start and say, where does this land in my life? And I would like to pose you some questions that, I am mulling through myself. Who am I becoming in my word, in my actions, in my habits, and in my intent? Who are you becoming? Who am I under pressure? Or who am I in a storm? Am I moving closer to the culture of Christ? Or am I actually getting bitter and disillusioned? Who am I in a storm? Because as Christ followers, if we believe God's favor is on us like it was on Joseph, if we believe that God is with us like he was 
with Joseph, then how does it change our confession? How does it change our security, where we find security? How does it change our peace? How does it change our approach? How does it change our reactions? And how does it change our prayers? You know those bail me out prayers are not wrong prayers to pray. But may they not be the only prayers we pray. That God, you are working in me. Soften me where I've got hard. Help me shift my perspective where I've become blinkered. Help me speak faith and hope where I've become disappointed. Who am I becoming? Who am I in the storm? And if I believe that God's favor is on me, if I believe that God is with me, how does it change me in these areas? I'd love for you to this week just ponder some of those thoughts. Just begin to reflect on some of those thoughts. Because my closing scripture is Matthew 27. No, sorry, Matthew 7. Verse 24, it says this, Therefore, every, this is Jesus speaking, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against it, that house, and it fell with a great crash. God is promising us storms. It's a little annoying, I know. But God is promising our lives will be hit with storms. But we do not have to be destroyed by them. We can remain stood firm. We can stay standing. We stay standing on his word, on his promises, adopting his culture and his ways. And the storms can be refining. We can emerge, emerge from those storms purer. They don't, need to re, they don't need to rob us, but they can refine us. We get the band back up. I want to encourage you that God is with you despite what things look like. And things might change for you and I in an instant. But things might take years. And are we cool to trust God in that process? You know, I will disagree with God regularly. Like he must be like, oh, Abs, have you not learned? No, probably not. I'm a slow learner. But I will regularly tell God where he's got it wrong or the way it should have worked out. But at the end of the day, I have to come to a point of going, God, you are sovereign. You are God. I am not. You are Lord. I submit my ways to you. I submit my fears, my thoughts, my control. I submit them all to you. And God, at the end of these storms, may I come out softer. 
May I come out with more love and more mercy and more compassion. May I come out being more like Jesus, not less like Jesus. So who are we becoming? You can come on up. Christ's work in us is far greater than any circumstances working against us. So let's partner up with God. His divine power is at work in us. We're going to sing in a minute, but none of this makes any sense unless you've decided to put your firm foundation in Jesus Christ. None of this will make any sense. You might have storms. I might have storms. People who know Jesus have storms. People who don't know Jesus have storms. But our ability to weather those storms rests in our relationship with Jesus. Whether you've walked with him all of your life or whether you are just on your journey to know him, none of this will make any sense unless you take that decision and say, okay, God, I adopt your culture more than the society's culture. I adopt your ways more than the ways of my past. I adopt your habits more than the habits that I am used to. God, would you make sense of what looks chaotic right now? I believe that God can do that because those bail me out prayers that I said weren't wrong to pray, often my circumstances don't change, but something internal does change. Something internal does shift that actually I'm changed in this, but nothing else looks any different, but I know I'm changed. I know I'm different. And in a few minutes, we're going to give you the opportunity, if you would like that, to make that decision and say, okay, God, I want you to take me on a journey. Because this looks topsy-turvy. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is topsy-turvy. His favor rests on you when you don't deserve it. His divine kindness is shown to you when you deserve it the least. And as someone who has accepted that, I will be forever grateful. Hearing Joanne and Leslie saying, you know, I got saved a long time ago. But his faithfulness to my life is still something that blows me away. And so who are you becoming? We're going to sing and the band is going to lead us and then I'm just going to jump back up and I'm just going to pray for you, give you that opportunity and then we're going to go on our way. But hopefully you will leave today not being panicked by the things that you are navigating but finding yourself on a sure footing with a firm footing and going, it makes no sense but my God will make it make sense because what Things are sent to harm us. God can turn around for our good and for the good of others. So let's stand. Let's just spend a few minutes in worship and I'll jump back up in a minute.